Good evening and welcome to Colorado Inside Out. I'm your guest host, Krista Kafer, Sunday columnist with the Denver Post. This is the last night on this set. The next two episodes will be filmed at the Tattered Cover Bookstore, after which Colorado Inside Out will have a brand new set and a brand new host, so stay tuned. Tonight we're joined by Patricia Calhoun, founder and editor of Westward, Denise Mays, founder of Mays Solutions, a public policy specialist, Penfield Tate, former member of the Colorado State House and State Senate, now with Tate Law, and Marie Aberger, founder, founding partner of Clear, Be Clear, a progressive communications firm. In the next few weeks, ballots will arrive in the mail. Things are heating up as Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton joined GOP candidate Joe O'Day this week to talk about immigration. Gubernatorial contenders Jared Polis and Heidi Ganahl faced off in a debate, and money is pouring in in races up and down the ballot. Patty, what's your update on this election? Well, you have to be very afraid to turn on your television these days because the advertising is nonstop, and it is really getting grim. It's interesting because, of course, there's relatively little coverage of, you know, Polis and Ganahl spoke. They had their first debate down in Pueblo, and... You didn't hear a whole lot about issues back and forth. You did hear a lot about what kind of cars they drove, which wasn't really a huge surprise. You see Joe O'Day, who had come up, has gotten a lot of national attention, and you now see a lot of people coming out against him. You don't see a lot of people paying attention to Tom Cotton, but you see Colorado Newsline just did a really interesting piece on how much money O'Day had gotten in government contracts as a contractor, and now he's talking about wanting to keep government little, keep big government out of our lives. So I think we'll begin to see a lot of scrutiny of O'Day in particular, probably a little more of Heidi Ganahl too, because people are going to be looking at the unknown quantities. Jared Polis is pretty much a known quantity. Same thing with Michael Bennett. You also will see nonstop commercials and coverage of seven and eight, where those races for Congress are getting really ugly. Denise, money always goes where there's hope. Um, so the fact that there's some money pouring into O'Day's race in particular says something. What do you? What is your take on it? I agree with you, and I think... Um, uh, and I also agree with everything that Patty just said, because I think O'Day now is going to get a heck of a lot more scrutiny, as will, uh, I think, Ganahl. But I, I think that race is a little bit more in Governor Polis's uh, hands to lose. I will say one of the things I found surprising or a little interesting about the debate between Polis and Ganahl was how flat-footed the governor was caught when Ganahl used the Republican playbook, high crime, what are you doing on fentanyl? And, you know, it just seems to me that the governor could have just said, do you know how many bills I supported in the last legislative session that gave tons and tons and millions and millions of dollars to police? And do you know that crime is rising in states that are tough on crime and states that are, are, that are soft on crime? And so there really is no correlation between tough on crime, you know, soft on crime policies that's really not the deal. It's the underlying causes of crime, like housing insecurity, um, things like that, that are really making the difference on crime and not these other things. But um, the Republicans have their playbook, and I was just surprised that the governor wasn't able to, to, to attack it a little bit more head on. 
Denise raises an interesting point, and I do think the governor seemed defensive during the debate. Penn, what, you, what are your thoughts? You know, he probably was a bit defensive. I, I, I think he hasn't been really tested um, in a campaign in a while, and so he, he needs to sharpen his edge. Um, I, I want to go back to something Patty raised. I, I think when you look at the overall landscape now, probably the closest race statistically is the U.S. Senate race between Bennett and O'Day. But I, I, I get this sense that um, the race is slipping away from O'Day. He started out, I thought, real strong, positioning himself as a moderate in Colorado terms. I thought his ad that his wife did was probably one of the best campaign ads I've seen this season. But the more he gets endorsed by people like Tom Cotton and others, I think it plays into those social issues that may work in in, in the world of the former president, but they don't really resonate with Republicans or independents here in Colorado. Um, his record on reproductive rights, his record on a host of other things are gonna get him in trouble um, and will, will likely sink his campaign. Marie, your thoughts on the debate and also the Senate race? Yeah, I think we're in this like fascinating period now where we've gone from the primary to the general and all of a sudden the Republicans are trying to rebrand themselves as moderates. You know, we saw in the debate this week, Heidi Ganahl trying to distance herself from her lieutenant governor. Now we see um, Joe O'Day running ads everywhere saying he's moderate. But at the same time, Tom Cotton was here just this week. Tom Cotton, you know, who celebrated uh, the nationwide end to abortion. Um, we learned, you know, just recently that not only did Joe O'Day, you know, vote for the ballot referendum to end abortion access in 2020, he actually signed the petition to put it on there in the first place. So I think we just need to not make, you know, this time period where people try and say they're a moderate, distract from, you know, what people really are, what people have voted for what they've said they believe in. We saw Cory Gardner, of course, do a similar you know, exercise, and we saw how that played out, that folks just go along with Mitch McConnell. And I think we need to you know, not lose ourselves now in this period between the primary and the general. Oral arguments begin in October for the U.S. Supreme Court. Justices will hear a case from Colorado, 303 Creative v. Alenis. In question is the state's public accommodation law. If the state compels an artist to speak or stay silent, does it violate the free speech and free exercise clauses of the First Amendment? Denise, this is a very interesting case, uh, also uh, kind of in the shadow of the masterpiece cake shop uh, uh, case that was fairly narrowly decided. Can we expect to see something a bit broader in this particular case, your prediction? Sure. I mean, I think the 303 case is, is and will definitely be one of the most watched um, of this particular term of the, uh, Supreme, of the Supreme Court. And just by way of a little bit of background for the viewers who may not be aware of the case, but 303 Creative is a website designer and its owner uh, is religiously opposed or opposed for religious reasons to same-sex marriage. And on that basis, the website designer does not want to have graphics or anything else um, on her website that celebrates same-sex marriage. And of course, this is a direct clash with Colorado's anti-discrimination law that basically says that if you are a Colorado business, that you cannot refuse to provide services on the basis of lots of things. And one of those things is sexual orientation. You are correct that in the Masterpiece Cake case, um, the Supreme Court really decided that case on a tiny, tiny technicality and really kicked it back. This one has more of the issue right at hand. And I think uh, we all need to realize that 
if the court uh, should side with the website designer, uh, the uh, reverberations of that case go far beyond the LGBT community. Um, it will provide the right to discriminate uh, and potentially override all anti-discrimination laws in the country. Um, and so I think we need to be very, very mindful. And as one final note, I'll say, you know, a while back, the Supreme Court um, has rejected the right to discriminate. For example, there was a case before it where a religious school claimed that it could pay men less than women for the same job because of its re religious belief that men were the head of the household. And so think about that and how this case could affect many, many cases like that. I think there's reasons to be concerned that with the makeup of this court, things may not go well uh, for many of us. So Lori Smith uh, does serve all people, but she does not make uh, particular websites for same-sex marriage according to her religious beliefs. If she would be forced to do that, would that be a, uh, an affront to her First, in and First Amendment rights, Penn? Well, you know, and that's the, that's the, the meat of the case. Um, the question is when you are a business and you put yourself out there saying you provide a service to, to the community, do you have the right to discriminate and say, I only provide the service for some people and not others? Um, many of us will, will think back, not fondly, on Jim Crow laws and some other things where restaurants, um, and, and the reason for the Green Book, where restaurants would exercise their right to not serve blacks and others because it was a matter of their personal um, uh, privilege and, and, and predilection. And, and so this is an important case, and I think what has many people concerned is it's a it's a very narrow issue, but with this Supreme Court and this makeup and what they just did with the Dobbs decision, this case um, really lends itself to some really broad-ranging, sweeping decision that, as Denise correctly pointed out, could undercut anti-discrimination legislation in every state throughout the country, and that has many people worried, particularly when you're basically saying if you have a private business, you can treat people however you want to in terms of what services you do or don't offer for any other reason, because this is a First Amendment case. It's not grounded in religion, which is important. So it's not, it's not based on what your religious predilection is or the tenets of your faith. It's, it's, it's a question of what you can and, 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 and do have to articulate. Marie, everyone around this table is a writer in one way or another. Is written word, similar to art, different than an off-the-shelf product, say this mug? Will this affect writers and their ability to write uh, something that is consistent with their beliefs? I'm really scared, and you know, based on what Penfield just said too, that this is saying you can write something that allows you to spew hate and allows you to discriminate. And I just don't think, why, would, why is this why we want Colorado to be known for? You know, we're known as a welcoming place, an inclusive place. We have the first openly gay governor, Jared Polis. Why is now the reason we're on the map? Because, you know, we have someone who wants to protect their right to be hateful. That's not who we are. So not only is it, you know, not aligned with our state laws that say you can't discriminate on the basis of sex, that we don't want to open up to discrimination in the marketplace, but... Why is this what we're going to be out there on the map known for? I don't want people to think of Colorado and think of this case. She raises an interesting point. Is refusing to do a website for a gay wedding the same as spewing hate? Patty. Well, it's silently spewing hate. I would say you're not actually spewing hate. It's interesting when you talk about writers because if you're a contract for hire, presumably 
do you have to take anything? If Focus on the Family called me and asked me to write something, would I have to? I don't see it happening. Um, I don't see them placing ads in Westward, but you get into a lot of those kinds of issues. From this, you can extrapolate just how tricky things could get. You may remember that 30 years ago, Colorado got the reputation as being the hate state mm -hmm. when all of a sudden we passed the voters, surprisingly, passed the, um, the amendment that didn't allow for to guarantee equal rights for gays. And that was overturned by a Supreme Court that was very different from this Supreme Court. So we could come up with that reputation yet again, depending on how this goes. The average price of a home in Colorado declined by $5,665 between June and August. That's a steep decline. In fact, only California and Utah experienced steeper declines in housing prices. In this market, is it showing that it's slowing down a little bit? That would be good for buyers, but not so good for sellers. Penn, your thought on the marketing uh, situation as it stands? Uh, you know, I think we're, we're sort of getting all wrapped up on this issue, and it's all relative. Um, we're in the season where, where housing prices tend to decline anyway um, because there's more inventory. But when you look at this, um, and I just looked at some data, prices dropped um, for the first time in a decade, which is unique, but rates have almost doubled uh, in the last several months due to inflation and the Fed wanting to check um, inflation. We still have pent-up demand. People are still buying houses for a variety of reasons. But consider this. In Denver now, the average rent for a one-bedroom apartment is almost $1,700 a month. You've got to earn roughly $56,000 a year to qualify for that. A studio is almost $1,500 a month, and you've got to earn almost $50,000 to qualify. A two-bedroom is $2,280, and a three-bedroom is $2,800. So, yeah, prices are coming down, but it's relative because they've been astronomical for years, which has driven part of the gentrification and the, the upheaval in neighborhood after neighborhood um, in this city. So if you're a home buyer um, and you're a homeowner, hold on. Uh, over the long term, you know, prices are going to rise again. But if you're looking to get into the market, um, gosh, I hope you took care of your debt profile and did some other things. But get in now while rates are climbing before they climb too high. Marie, I just read a report that said that Denver needs about 50,000 housing units uh, to make sure that everyone has a, a place to call their own. Is this a sign of hope that the market might be able to produce that? You know, I think that's a sign that the laws of supply and demand are real. It's a real thing. Colorado's a great place to live. People want to live here. People are moving here. So until we build more housing for all the people who want to live in Denver and want to live in Colorado, housing's going to be unaffordable. I mean, the reality is $5,000 here and there, up or down. Housing is very out of reach, especially for my generation, the generation that's going to follow after me. We're the first two generations that are likely going to be worse off than our parents. So I don't think we can look to like a $5,000 up or down as a solution. We've got to build more housing. We've got to make college more affordable. We've got to raise wages. Until we do any of that, we're not going to do anything about the how unaffordable housing is here. Patty, is uh, the $5,000 decline a sign of hope or just part of the seasonal market? And the fact that mortgage rates are going up. I mean, that is the most significant where people are right now. Houses are still more, the median price is still more expensive right now than it was last year. So it's not like this $5,000 drop is so, 
uh, so exciting. Um, we also, if you look back over the last 10 years, the average price of a home in Denver has gone up like $100, almost $100 a day. So the prices are just crazy. If you pay close attention, you will go insane, unless you're a realtor, in which case you probably already are, given the market for the last year. But you get these little Zillow and um, websites that are sending out these new stats every day, and it is positively dizzying. But what's amazing about Denver is you also see that people are leaving this city. So why are we in such a housing shortage? We see these apartment buildings going up all over town. They're still going up. So is it just that we've lost everything in the middle and below for people who really need housing? I think that raises a really good point. In fact, I just read a, a piece that said they're looking at taking old office buildings that are half empty and turning them into housing. Where do you see the market going? Well, I think everything that everyone has said here is is really on point. I think significantly that um, homes are still really expensive and unaffordable for a large percentage of the Denver population, and those, and especially those individuals who want to live in Denver but simply but simply can't. I think what's happening now in the market is it's really trying to regulate itself and try to maybe bring a little bit more uh, reality and common sense to home prices, but not nearly as much as it needs to go. You know, when I was talking about, you know, one of the causes of crime and one of the causes of individuals that are, that we have a lot, a larger homeless population has to do with un the unaffordability of homes. Um, there is a big, big housing insecurity and we need to address it. I think looking at office space is smart. Um, we should look at uh, some of the really, you know, not so nice um, hotels, uh, you know, on Colfax uh, all along the way, not just here in Denver, but in Aurora and elsewhere. So there's lots of ways that we can look about doing multiple housing, making them affordable, and um, but also allowing individuals to create equity in that because that really is one pathway and maybe the best one to actually, um, you know, creating wealth and stability. One of Denver's most unique watering holes, Book Bar, is closing. I'm very bummed about this. Uh, will staffing shortages and rising costs in Denver's distinct restaurant and bar scene continue to have an effect on, well, the wonderful places that we go? Marie. I, likewise, am so bummed about Book Bar. I, I just love it there, and this was such bad news for the week. Um, but, you know, our last topic was about how housing is out of reach. we got to raise wages. That's, that's part of this. So I think the book bar story is one, a reminder of buy books at your local bookseller instead of Amazon. Um, but two, I just want to make sure we don't like read too much into it as the state of small businesses in Denver. You know, that's one of my favorite places to get a glass of wine. One of my other favorites, Sienna Wine Bar, is actually about to expand to a big, large new location. So our economy is booming. Like we're, I think, top six in the country for economies right now. We have one of the lowest unemployment below our average that we've ever had. The economy is booming. We just have to go up if we're going to let people live here and buy houses here. And we need to support small businesses. I was really glad Governor Polish just signed into law um, support to take $180 million of pandemic relief funds and direct it to small businesses. I think he worked on that with Senator Julie Gonzalez. Um, we need to be doing more things like that, passing the Inflation Reduction Act. Anything we can do to support small businesses. But the reality is wages have to be going up if people are going to be able to live here. 
I'm still sad about Domo, the uh, the Japanese restaurant that was beautiful and had great food. Um, do you do you think we're going to start losing more of these sort of iconic places, Patty? Well, there's something we broke the book bar story, and there's something important about that story, which is she owns the building. So a lot of the businesses you see that can't make it, it's because landlords are raising their rent. They just can't make higher rent. In this case, Nicole Sullivan, the founder of Book Bar, just does own the property, and she'll decide what she wants to do with it going on. But she also has a very interesting point, which is, unlike the restaurants who can maybe raise their rates for their food to cover the higher cost of minimum wage, to cover the higher cost of food products, you can't really raise your prices too much on books because it's printed right on that book, how much you could buy it if you buy it in any other store, not even getting into the discount. So there's something really unique about the book business. And it's going to be very hard to see who can make it. We've saw Mutiny Information Cafe, which was shut down by the city for unpaid taxes, had a GoFundMe and raised $50,000 overnight, which shows how important these places are as community gathering spots. So support your local bookstore. Uh, support raising the minimum wage, too, so people can stay in the city. The big franchises, they can kind of support each other. I worry really about small and medium-sized restaurants, retail places, where they're sort of squished in between two uh, immovable rocks in the economy, costs on one hand and the ability to sell their product on the other. Where do you see this going? It's a, <laughs> you raise all the right points, as everyone else around the table has. I just, I, it is complicated. I think on one hand, what, what I really appreciated about um, the book bar owner was she didn't trash the, the notion of uh, raising the minimum wage. She saw it as, an, as a necessity. She just realized that she herself couldn't do it. And incidentally, um, the book bar is just two blocks from my house, and so I, I'm really going to miss it a lot. Um, I thought maybe I alone was was helping her make the rent. Or, well, she owns the building, but you know. Um, but anyhow, I, I I think this is what's really complicated. You know, the the MIT calculator, which is a pretty well respected uh, entity, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, but they put a living wage in Denver at twenty dollars and thirty one cents an hour for a single adult. Now, if you have two children, it should be fifty dollars an hour. That's just, you know, um, uh, outrageous. The Denver minimum wage will go to 1768 starting January 1. Um, and you're going to have a lot of businesses that are going to struggle to make that, make that wage work. And I think that's why some folks are closing. But I also think there are ways that businesses, um, not, not the book bar because they couldn't do, make the math work, but I think there are others that are struggling to do it, and I think they will. Um, and I think there's a firm belief that minimum wage does need to go up. Uh, I just think now we're in this place in the economy where we have um, unprecedented inflation. It wasn't predictable. Um, it wasn't uh, expected, and and that's throwing off things. And we need to we need to get the market to regulate itself so that so we'll all so that all will be well. And I hope I'm not too naive in that hope. I'm just relieved that uh, Casa Bonita will continue. Um, <laughs> that said, uh, you know, higher minimum wage, higher cost in general had to be captured in prices. And at some point, the public says, I don't want to pay this amount for a cup of coffee or this amount for a meal, and then sales drop off. What do you see happening, Penn? Well, you know, it's the, the, the topics today are, are neat because they're all interrelated. If you have more affordable housing and people can afford to live near where they work, they don't require as much income because they don't have to commute as far. They don't incur other expenses. 
and they put less pressure on some some of their employers. Um, what's been happening to small businesses tough throughout the pandemic? Um, you know, we talk about book bar. I lost my two favorite barbecue restaurants oh. over the pandemic. They're gone, um, and I'm um, searching actively for new ones. So if viewers have recommendations, let me know. Um, but it, this is going to continue to be a struggle. Um, you know, the book bar owner is fortunate. She owns the building. She's got some flexibility. She'll be able to cash in on this real estate market if she wants. But we'll continue to see pressure on small businesses just because the sort of entire economy of the city and the state are still a little bit off kilter. And I, I, I truly believe that finding solutions, not a solution, but solutions to affordability in housing is going to be key to helping to right the ship here. And now for everybody's favorite, it's time for Disgrace of the Week and an opportunity to say something nice. Patty, your Disgrace of the Week. Well, I have to remind Penn that Heidi Ganahl's husband owns a barbecue place and it's branching out. So who knows what could happen in that race? I want to go back to eight, though. When you see the ads for Barb Kirkmeyer and uh, Caraveo, and they're probably not theirs. They're probably dark money ads, but they are so ugly. Let these women talk about their own platforms and quit throwing the mud. It is truly, you don't want to turn on your television because you might catch them. Well said, Denise. Uh, my disgrace of the week are, um, are the police officers, uh, once they arrested an individual, handcuffed her, put her in the back of the patrol car, but they parked the car on the train tracks. And then, sure enough, the train came through and um, tossed the car, moved it about 200 feet, and the uh, woman in the back seat of that car, handcuffed, could could not get out of the patrol car, and she suffered some serious injuries. This is not a police training issue. We all know don't park on the train tracks. It's baffling. Amen. Pat. Baffling's an understatement. Yes, um, indeed. Yeah. I don't know what we're doing wrong as a society, but it was recently reported that in Colorado, the death rate for teenagers has increased 60% over the last decade, um, and this is death due to suicide and drug use. Um, we've got to take better care of, care of our kids. And Marie, yours. I'll close on a slightly lighter note. Um, I'm pretty disgraced with uh, Jenna Ellis, unfortunately, of Colorado, coming after Lizzo this week. Um, for anyone who didn't see, the Library of Congress yes. partnered with Lizzo to let her play James Madison's flute for the first time. It was so awesome. What a way to make history cool, the Library of Congress cool. And, of course, Jenna Ellis didn't like it. Yeah. If you watch anything, watch that Lizzo. It was oh, absolutely really stunning. Um, and, I, well, I just said something nice about Lizzo. How about your something nice, Patty? I'm going to say something nice about Lori Lizarraga, who had been at Channel 9. She wrote an essay for us uh, 18 months ago about how Channel 9 had gotten rid of its reporters of color or treated them badly. And she just got named a co-host at NPR, which is great. Denise. I saw that, and I, that's a really good thing to mention for the week. Um, I have so far been enjoying the last couple of weeks of Hispanic Heritage Month. Uh, last week, uh, the governor opened up his home, the governor's mansion, to a, big, to a big party, and there were mariachis, and there was great tequila, and there was lots of Latino pride, which I appreciate. I always have to say this, though, that the Latino community, uh, we are more than a month, and we are a kaleidoscope of people. So I'll leave it at that. Uh, two quick ones. Um, I, during Heritage Month, I went to the Latin fashion show, um, which was fantastic. And also, congratulations, 16th Street Mall needs a boost. The Museum of Illusions is coming to the mall. Nice. 
Uh, shout out to the 45th, 45th Dan Denver Film Festival. Tickets go on sale next week on October 7th. It's one of my favorite things of the year. I always try and go to as many movies as I can. So if folks haven't gotten back to the theaters yet and are open to going to movies, check out the Denver Film Festival. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for being here tonight. Um, I want to say goodbye to this uh, lovely... Um, shag carpeted table <laughs> um, if everybody could just give it kind of a last uh, a last little uh, rub down here Wait, this is where the pit bill puked yes when peter boyles was hosting live television yes many many a great history right here uh, and that's because we're moving to a new venue in a couple of weeks catch us next week we're going to be at the tattered cover uh, filming there but uh, if you miss us you can always catch us on our youtube channel also uh, channel 12 uh, pbs12.org. Check us out and have yourself a fantastic night. <laughs>